Well, I don't know if you've been around here the last few weeks. We've kind of received what we believe is a prophetic invitation from God and we're doing our best to try and understand what that means and what we must do as individuals and as a community to be able to step more and more into all that God has for us. And uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, but just prior to the, the kind of coming of the end of the year, I had an experience with God and, and in that dream, um, I was standing in an uncertain place, a transitional place, I was told to stand upright and to walk forward, and as I did just as the Holy Spirit in the dream instructed me to do, I saw that there was a, a light in the distance, and it was a huge expansive space, but as I drew nearer and nearer to that light, it became very clear to me that it was an open door, and beyond that door, there was the most incredible radiance and glory and, and just illumination, if you like, just the most profound light and as I woke from that dream, it was a Sunday afternoon after church, I felt the Holy Spirit just say to me this little sentence, it says, 2024 will be the year of the open door. And uh, I don't really understand what that could mean or what I'm supposed to do with that, and uh, I don't really remember my dreams, so I had all kinds of questions about that. And straight away, this scripture came to mind that was so profoundly, um, you know, clear, uh, it comes from Revelation chapter three, it's verse eight, and it says that I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Isn't that good news? I know that you have little strength, and I just wanna to say to you that probably is the condition of most Christians right now. We have been battling and, and trying to you know, live our best life for Jesus in, in such adverse circumstances. It's not going to get any easier, I'm sorry to tell you. But you have little strength, and this is the truth, yet you have not given up. You've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Now, I was just thinking this was for me, and I was praying about that and thinking, okay, what does that look like for me on a practical basis? And then I felt the Lord tell me to come to the church and to share it with the church, and it seems to have found a life of its own. It's kind of traveling a little bit now, and um, the region is involved, and the, the kind of national Elim thing are starting to ask a little bit about this and pray into that. And it's, it's quite an important thing to look at the timing around it, because I don't know if you realize this, but but um, in September the, of, of last year, 2023, on the 15th of September, we actually shifted from one year to another in the Jewish calendar. And um, it was around that time, looking back on the dates, that actually, I think it, that was the Friday, that this date is the Friday, and on the Sunday, I get this prophetic word from God in a dream. So you know with God, things start to escalate and snowball, and you start to realize there's something so much more about this than I realized. But the actual number, the number to the year, is this number above it, you can see it in the yellow. It's, it's, it's year 5784. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that their timeline is different to ours, and actually their calendar is different to ours. And so consequently, while our New Year started on the 1st of January, 2024, the Jewish New Year started on the 15th of September, 2023. Now, if you think back with me to the time when the dream came, God was speaking to me. I didn't know it was the Jewish New Year. I had no idea that that had relevance to us. But actually, there are so many confirmatory things that are helping me understand that this is something that we as a people, or me as an individual, unfortunately, you're coming on the journey anyway, need to think about and pray about and seek God's heart about. And the numbers are very significant. We'll come to that in a minute. And uh, I don't know if you've studied some Jewish cultural, uh, spiritual uh, realities, but the numbers and names are very significant. So let me ask you, you probably have done your homework on this and not realized, what is the significance of the number seven? Does anybody know the significance of the number seven in Hebraic culture? Perfection, yeah, it's perfection. And, and what about the significance of the number 10? There are 10 commandments, so is there a significance to the number 10? Completion. When you see the number 12 in the scriptures, and there were 12 disciples, what does that mean? That that is governmental. There are 12 governmental realities, and um, I don't know if you remember this, but whenever Jesus did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it says at the end of it, there were 12 baskets left over with bread in them. And at that time, there were 12 known nations or people groups on the planet. God is bread 
for the nations. He feeds the nations, and 12 is his governmental reality over all things. You know he is the God of all creation, not just some creation. So when we look at numbers, we start to realize that from our perspective from the West, they probably don't mean so much, but actually in Hebraic culture and in in, in spirituality, they mean significant things. And so this number has a lot of significance attached to it. Let me take you to what I believe it really is inviting us to. And the first thing I'd suggest to you is that there's a shift. There's a shift taking place as we speak. In fact, it's been taking place for the last number of months. And that shift is not something you can see with your natural eyes. It's something that can only be perceived initially with your spiritual eyes. And so consequently, we need to find ourselves living in this particular Place, which is an invitation from God from Isaiah 43 verses 18 to 19. He says, forget the former things. In other words, it's not like God is trashing your past or saying all of those things didn't matter. He's simply suggesting this, that they have served his purposes thus far. And so it's not like we're detaching ourselves from our story or detaching ourselves from our journey. He's just simply saying, I have done what I needed to do with those realities in your life. And behold, and the word there, behold, means to look up and to see, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And the truth is, if we're really honest, no. (laughs) And you have to be really honest with God. No, we don't. And he tells us that the evidence of this new thing is that we will see springs or rivers in a desert place. And of course, you and I both know that deserts are not renowned for being lush and prosperous places when it comes to water. And so the analogy invites us to understand that actually God is about to do the impossible. I don't know much about agriculture, but I know without water, it's impossible for there to be a harvest. And you may have thought that your life was a barren place. You may have thought your circumstances were completely beyond any redemption. You may even feel like you've been in this dry and weary place for such a long, long time, but I believe the invitation, 2024, the year of the open door, is inviting us to perceive with our spirits what God longs to do. Now here we are in all kinds of ways locked into the life that we've had. And for us to have the life that he wants, we're gonna have to allow him to make some changes. And these are the changes that I think he makes. He deconstructs some things. I don't know if you, like me, got born again later in life. I didn't become a Christian until I was 24. And um, when I first became a Christian, it seemed to me that just about everywhere I went, God was speaking to me. And I didn't even have to pray, I really felt God's presence. In fact, sometimes I'd meet the oddest of people, I still do, I'm a pastor. And they would just sit up right now in this particular environment. And these people, God would speak to me about these people and they would experience something of the Holy Spirit. And then I noticed after a period of time, that the things I used to do and the way I interacted with the Holy Spirit didn't seem to work anymore. And of course, the reason for that is because God has a rhythm, he has a way of working in our lives. I didn't know that. And many people who come to know Jesus often feel very, very uncomfortable with the fact that that initial honeymoon period where everything seemed vibrant, those manifest times when God, you didn't even need to sing a song or pray a prayer, you just felt so conscious of his presence. People want to live in that place, but for God to move you forward, he goes into a place where hiddenness is his reality and you move from manifestation to hiddenness. And what happens when it doesn't feel the same or look the same or operate the same is not that you're meant to believe that that God has left you, What you're meant to understand is that God is still with you, but now in this season, instead of all the feelings and all the pipes and all the whistles blowing, you're meant to live confidently out of that which you've experienced. And so when I look across my life at how the Holy Spirit moves, I realize that there are seasons of manifestation. I've been in meetings where we didn't even have to do anything and the Holy Spirit was moving really powerfully. And I've been in meetings when we tried to do everything and the Holy Spirit wasn't moving powerfully. You've been in those? You probably think this is one of them, don't you? 
It's not over till it's over. Okay, I've watched that there's a rhythm and a way in which the Holy Spirit moves. And of course, if I had chosen to stay stuck to that season of manifestation and not now walk with God in the hiddenness that he affords me, where he's hidden for me, not from me, and I have to go searching for him and I have to apply everything I've learned, I would not be doing what the scriptures encourage me to do, which is to be ever changing from one degree of glory to the next. You see, for us as Christians, we can't sit still. I know you'd like to. I know many of us want to be settlers. But if you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, God is always on the move. And he wants to take you with him on this glorious adventure. And there are seasons and experiences and revelations and consolidations that are necessary for you to become more and more like Jesus Christ. You will always be, according to the Spirit and the Scriptures, changing from one degree of glory to the next. And 2024, there is a shift that's taking place. And you can choose to stay in 2023. I don't think God would be unhappy with you. You've been faithful up to that, but you will not inherit the fullness that God has for you. Now, let me ask you this question. Does God have plans for you? Are they to prosper and to bless you? Have you seen evidence across your journey with him that he's faithful to his plans? Have you watched that at times you've doubted his character, but he has continued? to do what he promised he would do? Have you noticed that he is who he says he is, but he also does what he promises he will do? And in spite of your greatest attempts to resist some of the things that he's invited you to, you have found yourself caught up in the whirlwind of his love, this glorious romance, and you're finding yourself following him because your heart is compelled to be near him. God is moving. My question is, will we move with him? Will I allow him to lead me into all that he has prepared for me? That's a great question, Pastor Simon. Thank you for reminding us about it. But you get a choice. And that choice is, will I go on this adventure with God or will I stay where I've been because it's more comfortable and it's more familiar and I understand how that works or will I allow the Spirit to change me? from one degree of glory to the next until I become like him. God is doing a new thing. And there are things about that that I think we need to understand. And the first thing is this, that some of those things that you thought were always gonna be permanent and eternally secure are actually starting to feel a little uncertain. Things are starting to get a little uncertain. And you know, for us as Christians, we hate that. I always believe one of the things that God's blessed me with is a desire for mystery. I have a greater desire for mystery than I do for certainty. It's part of who I am in God. I just love that there's so much more to him than I currently have. I love that when I lean into his presence, I see aspects and revelations of his nature and character. And I know for some people in the room, certainty is much more glorifying to your soul than mystery. It's not that that's wrong or it's right, it's just different. And I recognize too that the kind of person God's made me to be is that if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, I definitely will become insane. Routine is the enemy of the oxygen that my soul needs, which is mystery. Now, I know there are people here who you've got everything nailed down to the fight. I mean, you could time your day by the second. But for me, when I wake up, I think, ooh. Don't think of me as stupid. I just think, ooh. And you know, to keep it fresh, I don't always brush my teeth the first thing in the morning. I don't always have that routine. And I know some of you do, and you could time yourself by it. I don't do it like that. Sometimes I'm really audacious and I go the long way to work. The long way is the Bristol Road. And although the whole thing is only about a mile and a half, it takes about 40 minutes in the morning. Why? Because God has created in me an appetite for more, for adventure, to explore the breadth and the depths and the magnitudes of his love. 
And so I'm really sorry if you're a settler, your pastor is a pioneer. And that means we will always be encouraging you to get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, oh blessed assurance, I need to move. Jesus is waiting, what will I do? We are moving, we are moving. The church is being mobilized to movement. God is deconstructing some things that we thought were immovable. And there are lots of things I could say about that and I don't want to bore you to death, but I will say this because it's quite provocative and I have a tendency to have spiritual Tourette syndrome. Church as we've known it will not work into the future. Some of our paradigms and structures are not fit for the mission and the harvest that is about to come. And God in his great gentleness, because he's much nicer than me, will just keep working in us and making us a little bit uncomfortable and unsettling us. So anybody who's been in a season of being unsettled, restless, Come on, talk to me, come on, wrestlers. And you've been binding the devil and it was the Holy Spirit. You've been It was God himself. Because he's leading you into more. He's taking you into the fullness of his promise. And if you wanna sit down and watch people do that, then that's great. But as for me and my house, we're going. I'm RSVPing as we speak. Yes, Lord, I'm coming. I don't know what it will look like. So let's look at what that means. It's an awakening and a realignment. Why do we need awakening? Any ideas? Because we've fallen asleep. Do you know how I know when I've fallen asleep? When somebody gets saved and I'm surprised. <laughs> oh. Or somebody gets healed and I'm slightly shocked. You see, for the Christian, those things are all day, every day realities because God's kingdom is advancing. God is always moving. Things are always happening in the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes when somebody gets saved here, you know, we're so excited, we burst into a hallelujah, but actually a time is coming when salvations will happen so regularly and so frequently, we will not be able to keep up with the hallelujahs. We will not be able to keep up with what God is doing because we're living in days when the end time harvest is coming forth in the name of Jesus. We're living in days when the church needs to change to accommodate what the spirit is inviting us to do because if we're really honest, this has all become about us. Where I sit, what I give, where I serve, and for that end time harvest to become a reality, God is just disrupting some things because he believes in you, that you have an authority and an ability to transform the world around you. Secret weapons of mass destruction, turning up in their communities, bringing life and healing and restoration. Can you imagine how exciting that adventure would be Nudge somebody and say, I think he's talking to you because you look a bit miserable this morning. Can you imagine how exciting that adventure will be? That's gonna be an incredible adventure. So God is awakening us. The book of Ephesians says, awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The problem with the awakening is for some of us, it will be a great and glorious thing. We'll have a great awakening. We'll see the expansive reality of what God wants to do in our world. For others of us, it'll be a rude awakening because we don't believe that we've fallen asleep. We don't believe that we've fallen into the traps and, and, and kind of apathies of just doing spirituality occasionally on a Sunday or on a Monday or on my quiet time. We've forgotten that God is wholeheartedly wanting all of us. And he wants all of us to receive all of him so that many can come to faith in Christ Jesus. So that's what's happening. And you'll probably find some of the things you used to do don't work anymore. One of the alarming statistics currently 
is so many people are exiting the church. Not because I preached for long, in case you jumped there in your head, but because of this. In fact, the opposite is happening here. Because people realize that something's not working. Some things are just not working. And they've got questions. Questions nobody is bold enough or courageous enough to seek God's heart at times to answer. Ministers who've been in pulpits week after week after week are saying, I just want to get a job in Tesco's. I must confess to you, I'm aiming at slightly higher. I'm going to go for Sainsbury's. <laughs> and if there is a waitress near to the house, let's go full on and hang out with the posh people. Sometimes you just look at what are we trying to be and who are we becoming and what does this look like? And if you are anyone who's a thinker, and in spite of the rumors I am, you start to think about all those things and you start to question some things. I think it would have been about five, maybe six years ago, just when Chris Cartwright became the general superintendent of the Elim churches across the world, um, I, I went to see him. I had a prophetic word for him and I went to give it to him. And I, I remember saying to him, there, there was two words I'd never heard before. Uh, it's incumbent upon us. In other words, we have been given an office of responsibility that carries with it a mandate to do something or requires us. It's incumbent upon us not to be encumbered with things that stop us from fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. And I asked him this question, he'll bear witness to this if he ever comes here, please God, he will come and preach one time. And I said to him, let me ask you the question because this question is important. Remember, I've been a regional leader of 136 churches. I've been around the churches. I, I pick up from the people some of the questions they were grappling with about the mission and why we were here and what we did. And um, I said, does the, does the Elim movement exist for the benefit of the mission? That's us, people out on the cutting edge of things. Or do we exist for the movement? Where is the priority? You see, fundamentally, we are missionaries. Fundamentally, I know no one's told you this today, you are the very answer to the questions people are asking in your community. Listen to this promise from God. It says, all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons, the generic term speaking about inheritance, the sons of God to be revealed. And the answer isn't the Labour or the Conservative Party. It certainly won't be Prince Charles or whoever's on the throne. The church is the only agency mandated to bring transformation in society. You have a governmental invitation from God to subdue all the darkness and awaken people to light. You carry a divine responsibility and a divine privilege because you are loved by him to take that love into the highways and the byways. But what we have right now, does that really facilitate such a great outpouring of God's spirit to take the message of Jesus into all of those places? And the truth is, we need a new wineskin. This wineskin was fit and great for the purpose that it was intended for, but there's an awakening coming. I hope it's not rude for you. I hope it's great for you. And there's a realignment, and what do I mean by that? When Jesus left this earth, he commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28. He didn't say, go and have really good meetings. He didn't say, gather in my name and experience the woo, the power, the woo of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, come along to church and find out three things again that start with P. Jesus said this, go into all the world and make disciples of all men baptizing them, emerging them, fully surrounding them in the love of the Father, the salvation of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptize your family in the Father's love and the glory that the Son gives and offers us and in the power that the Spirit affords to us. And listen to the promise, I'm gonna be with you right there. I'm gonna be right there with you, you'll see me you'll witness the evidence of my reality. 
You see, that's the realignment that's necessary because people say things like this. It's just comments, but I listen to them. They say, I'm bringing somebody to church, pastor. You need to preach the gospel. I say, well, go and preach the gospel yourself because you are a message of hope to those people. We, have, we keep drawing people into the building but you know what, if we preach the gospel message every Sunday, half of you would leave. So we have this dysfunctionality that needs attention. And I believe that God is awakening his church, he's awakening our hearts to love, he's awakening us to the fullness of Jesus, and he's realigning us to our mission. And if you wanna be part of that, here's some things you need to pay attention to. The first one is old mindsets. Now you're probably thinking, well my mind is set. And you know what, I know. And the problem with a set mind is it does not have the capacity to be open. When you think you already know the answer, you don't ask the question. Do you hear me? And a mindset is really important because a mindset determines how you live. And your mindset is an area that the Holy Spirit wants to change. You know, we say things like this, oh Lord, will you increase me? Will you stretch out your tech pads to the north, the south, the east, and the west? And God says, yes. But let's talk about your mindset. Because when you've been living with poverty for a long, long time, it's very difficult to have a mindset that believes for abundance and fullness. Amen? If you've been living with a self hatred because of sin or brokenness or pain or shame in your life and the father invites you through sonship to go on this great adventure with him not because you're powerful because he's glorious you're going to say hang on a second i'm not good enough for that the amount of people i've prayed for over the years and they have hindered what the holy spirit wanted to do because their mindset had already predetermined how things would happen you and i need new mindsets if you want new territory, you're gonna need new mindsets. If you want the expansive reality of God, you're gonna need God to give you his mind on certain things. And his mind is not just a mind that's free from sin. God is the most brilliant person you will ever meet. And you need to know his thoughts. You need to know his ways. Because the brilliance of the end time church is that they love not their life to death, but they overcame it all by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. That's gonna need a shift. Some of us, we're really hard done by if we have to queue in Sainsbury's for longer than 10 minutes. We're gonna need an extended mindset regarding suffering. We need an extended mindset of what it looks like to be spiritual. You need your mind to be changed. And if you change your mind or allow God to change your mind and give you his mindset, then here's what will happen. You will no longer conform to the pattern of this word, but you will be transformed. How? As God's mind becomes your mind. Now, let me ask you a question, because you're looking at me blankly. Do you believe that God could do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine? Yes, yes pastor. Well, why don't you see it? Let me tell you, one of the biggest enemies to that is your mind. Me? God could use me like that? Yes. God could take my life and all its pain and sin and use it for his glory? Absolutely. Do you know why I have no qualms about saying that to you? Because God used a donkey in the Old Testament to change the direction of a nation. And I haven't spoken to you recently, but I definitely know there's more sheep here than there are donkeys. There may be a few goats, but that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> if God can use a donkey and speak through a donkey to change the world, you think you're disqualified because you've got this or that in your life? Come on. If Jesus is enough for you, make him enough in those ways. Don't let your mind rob you of the things that God has for you. You need a new mindset. And then you will be able to, and this is the working of his word, test and approve. In other words, his work will go to work in and through you, and you'll see the approval and the favor of God. Someone say amen. amen. Second thing you need. Is eyesight to be able to click the right switch. 
You need to examine your daily patterns. What do I mean by that? <laughs> Routine can be very helpful sometimes, and it can also be very destructive, can't it? And I think we're not married to routine. <laughs> are we? You bigamist, are you married to routine? We're, we're married to Jesus Christ. And we're married to his leading and his headship. And we're married to the one who moves. I think the biggest problem the church has is that God moves. <laughs> and the biggest problem that God has is that we don't. Now when you've got this kind of rigid way of living your life, you may find it a struggle when God begins to move. And I think there are some things that are up for grabs in 2024. You know the kind of routines of how you meet with him? God's gonna blow that out of the water. Because it's become very samey and very familiar and you've been praying for something fresh. God's gonna blow some of those things out of the water. You know this kind of notion that you have to do things in a particular way? You know when the Bible speaks of order in the church, it's talking about the order that's orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, not the imposed order that men often impose upon a meeting because they want to have control over things. God's order is not your order. God's ways are not your ways. So, he may stretch some things for you. You may find it a bit difficult, but I'm sure it'll work. Renewed relationships. I can't catch my breath sometimes that people who call themselves followers of Jesus and lovers of God can sit in a congregation for years with resentment in their heart towards someone. I can't catch my breath that we who've been forgiven so much choose not to forgive certain people in our life. And I can't catch my breath that we sit so often in gatherings like this with judgments. Things that we think we have a right to say or think or, or feel in regard to somebody else. And that can be anything from race to education to anything. Listen to me, church. You can have a preference But if you don't pay attention to that as a preference and you start to judge people around you, that has now become a prejudice. And a prejudice means that I'm right and you're wrong. And then the outworking of that is we all now have a problem. Now in a world where preferences are becoming prejudicial, I'm just saying, the church cannot afford to go down that road because every nation, tribe, and tongue is called to the one. And I may like it loud and you may like it quiet, but God's okay with that. You may want sermons that go on for three hours. Where are you? Others want three minutes. I'm okay with that. People love expressive worship. Others. Well, let's have something a little bit more contemplative or reflective. All of it is good because I can have a preference. And my preference is probably never evidenced here because this is not about my preference. This is about collectively what is right for us as a community. And sometimes I have to trade my preference. I have to be also careful that I don't become prejudicial in my preference. And that's where it becomes a little bit sinister. So. You and I, we've sat in rooms where people didn't like us and we didn't like them. I'm telling you, in 2024, the year of the open door, God is gonna restore relationships. And guess where he's gonna start? In his house. This is his house. I've seen people move away from church because they can't forgive somebody. And yet when we come to the communion table, we have one God, one Lord and Master, one King, one Savior, one Baptizer, one Healer, one, one. No wonder it says in the scriptures, where there is unity, God commands his blessing. And unity isn't uniformity. I don't have to think it like you, say it like you, like it like you. I just have to value the way you think, say, and like it enough not to be critical.
And that's important. So get your heart ready for all that the Holy Spirit's going to do. And these are the shifts of preparation for the awakening and for the manifestation of what he's bringing. Fresh inspiration. And many of us in this room need a fresh word from God. It's just me. Give me a wave if you need a fresh word from God. Some of us are dining out on something the Holy Spirit said 30 years ago. And that's fine because his word is eternal. But can you imagine that we had daily bread? That God spoke to us in our context, in our current reality? And you know, when the Lord speaks, his sound, the sound of his voice, more importantly, the sound of his heart, is the sound of many rushing waters. It brings refreshing to our spiritual journey. brings awakening to our hearts. God is giving us fresh inspiration. Some of you are gonna get dreams. Some of you are gonna have visions. Some of you are gonna start businesses in 2024. Some of you are gonna shut some. Some of you are gonna get married in 2024. It's about time for some of you. (laughs) Everything becomes available when we understand that we're in transition and it's okay to not understand everything, but I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm becoming more dependent on the voice of God and His Word to take me into the future that he has for me. And I'm doing what I can do to make sure that I'm ready for that. I think this is the last one. I've got about 40 other slides after this, but I'll spare you. Because mercy is required some days, isn't it? When I first became a Christian, I sat in Kevin and Paul's house I was 24, fabulous by the way, absolutely stunning. And um, they said this to me. They said, if you were the only person in the world, God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And to be honest with you, after that, it became a bit of a blur. Because that little sentence had such a significant impact on me because I understood immediately what what was required of me. If Jesus had given his life, then really the only decent response I could offer him was to give him my life. And so I prayed that prayer. I didn't pray the usual prayers that happened around. I just said, God, I give you my life because you have given me your life. And here we are, 39 years later, That's a long time, isn't it? If I'd murdered somebody, I'd be out now. (laughs) Wouldn't I? Be out and about now. Nobody would be any the wiser. I don't know how many tens of thousands of meetings like this I've been in. I don't know how many continents I've traveled to, all from one prayer of surrender and submission. I don't know how many times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. All from one prayer of submission. I'm married to this wonderful lady which could only be possible through this one prayer of submission. And this prayer has been a constant bugbear to me for the last 39 years. Let me tell you why. Because sometimes I'd like my own way. Stop smiling at me, you're exactly the same. (laughs) Sometimes I've got plans and I think they're quite good. Oh well. Sometimes I don't want to do some things. Make sense? Sometimes I want to do some things I shouldn't do. You with me? Do you feel me? Not too closely, I hope. It'd be a bit dangerous. Because submitting to God is a full-time job, isn't it? 
And it's a daily devotion. Not my will, but your will be done. And some days I've got it right and some days it's gone horribly wrong. And I can even testify to seasons where it seemed really easy to submit to God and other times I found it particularly hard. Is there anybody honest enough to say that? But what does submission to God look like? From God's perspective, what would he ask of us? And let me tell you, because this is gonna blow your head out off your shoulders. Jesus said these words, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce a harvest. And what Jesus is talking about is not the farming community. In fact, he's talking primarily about himself. If he had not died on the cross, you would not be here today and call him Savior and Lord. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce a harvest. As you look around the world, how many have come to faith in Jesus from the last 2,000 years? Multiple millions, if not up nearly now in the billion, all because Jesus chose to offer himself wholeheartedly to surrender himself completely to the will of his Father. You are here today because he died back then. And he did it willingly for you. He did it for you, by the way. And he knew it's the only way you could be restored to God the Father. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, you are the joy he's speaking of. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Horrific death, public, humiliating, devastating for his disciples. And he did it so that you could be one of the harvest that comes to know God. What would it look like if this year the greatest gift you could give God was not your tithe or your service or your hallelujah? See, I'm good at that. What about the greatest thing you could give to God this year was your willingness to die? To not live the life that you think you have to have to have value and accept the one he offers you as having greater value. What if the goal of the spirit this year was for you to die? It's a good news message this, isn't it? And if you understood how that works, you will know that there is no life without death. And we talk about the resurrection power of Jesus and we talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we talk about all these things. Do you know who God raises up? Those who've allowed him to help them die. All that is significant about the plans that he has to prosper and to bless you are reliant on your capacity to die. And without your death, there is no resurrection. And without your death, you can't call him Lord because you're still in control. And without your willingness to submit and surrender to the best of your capacity on a daily, or in my case, hourly basis, you'll never see, you'll never taste, you'll never experience the life of abundance that Jesus Christ promised you. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. Everyone is invited. And Jesus has done everything to make sure that it's provided for you. Will you stand with me please? I was at a national prayer thing about, a, was that a week ago today? And in that room were some really incredible people, really, really gifted, talented people. And I remember uh, just as I would normally do, just sensing that I needed to ask some questions. Um, and so I 
just lent in in my little private way to the Holy Spirit and said, what, what's going on, God? What's happening? What's happening around me? And God said something to me. I'm going to finish this because I think this is probably something that needs time to just sit with us. He said, everybody wants to be a great man. They want to do great things. They want to see great and glorious adventures. And all of humanity love great men. People who've accomplished significant things. People who have faced adversity and broke through into some level of glory. And all of that is wonderful, but God's not looking for great men. God's looking for good men. And a good man or woman says in their heart, be it unto me according to your will, O God. Left to our own devices, we will do what we want. And we'll fail to see what he wants or even entertain what he has. But God's not looking for great gifted people in 2024. As the door opens, it's open to anyone who wants to do what he asks them to do. As Mary prayed, one of the greatest, most glorious prayers of the whole New Testament, she said, with all that looked impossible to her, she said, be it unto me, O God, according to your will. And I wanna land this conversation at that point. I don't know what the open door fully means. I'm not 100% clear of the significance about all that's happening in our world and there's huge shifts and changes taken in our world but this one thing I can do and I can do it regularly if not daily, if not hourly, if not minutely, if there is such a word, I can say God, not my will but your will be done. Be it unto me according to your will. And I guarantee you that if you walk with that kind of humility and obedience, God, God himself will raise you up and use you because he can trust you in the most remarkable ways in the days that lie ahead. And so I simply end by saying this, come Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. And all that's happening around us will continue to happen whether we engage in it or not. But you who are sovereign know the end before the beginning and you are aligning and awakening your church and things are shifting, Lord, to the end time harvest and the return of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you have promised that you will work in us, ever changing us from one degree of glory to the next. I pray that I will not get in the way of that this year, but I will allow you access to my heart and my life and I will be obedient to the leading of your spirit and I will be submitted to your lordship in my life. Lord, that's the best I can give you and the only thing that you're asking of me at this hour. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you could start that adventure of submission and surrender by asking him to forgive you for your sins. And I know we've all sinned. Nobody in this room is perfect. In fact, if you only knew some of the stories around you, you'd be shocked. But all have sinned. And there's only one way out of sin. And that's not by trying harder or doing good things or religious works. There's only one way out of sin and that's to accept God's offer of forgiveness. And that's why Jesus died. In case you didn't know, that's why he came. He came so that your sins could be forgiven and that you could have a restorative relationship with his father. The very thing, the very one you've been looking for all your life is here right now and wants that friendship, that relationship with you. And all you have to do is pray this prayer and you will be forgiven. And I would like us to pray it together out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and taking the punishment for my sin. I accept, I can do nothing about that. And I'm asking you to forgive me, to allow my life to be transformed by your life. Come into my heart. Take over my life, Jesus. 
I surrender to you. For the Christian in this room who's lived outside of submission and obedience to God, I pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Let's do it together. Lord Jesus, forgive us for thinking we knew better, for trying to build a life for ourselves in our own strength. When you have plans and a heart that delights to give great gifts to your children, And I recognize that unless you build my life, I'm just laboring in vain. Forgive me, Jesus. I confess my need and ask you to help me to submit and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, as we go into our week, there'll be lots of opportunities to ponder all of these thoughts. But 2024 is the year of favor on your church, Lord. And it's the year of the open door. Make us ready, God, in this transitional period. Make us ready, Lord, for all that you long to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.